friends to the another part of the series that we have on gender gaps and uh, uh one second one second yeah uh today we have um uh you know uh, jasoda das gupta ji talking about um women in health concerns during covid 19 and uh on jasoti this one this one sec arjun arjun yeah one second uh one minute i have to just search for that simona uh yes uh this in fact the speaker today uh, is jasodra dasgupta uh, she is an independent feminist researcher with over 30 years experience in rural women's advocacy claiming She has co-founded four feminist organizations in India, as well as headed one of them, Sahyog, for 12 years. She has received several fellowships and published widely on gender issues, public health, and women's rights. Uh, Jashodra ji has co-chaired a Lancet Commission on Glo- Global Governance for Health and continues as an advisor on the subsequent scientific panel. She has been part of the high-level expert group on universal health coverage in the Erstwhile Planning Commission. Jashodra ji has advised UN agencies the National Human Rights Commission and Line Ministries she has been the first woman head of an Indian philanthropic organization that aimed to promote social justice so uh, we uh, would be looking forward to Jashodra ji talk on women and health concerns during covid 19 and then of course after that we'll use for questions and all So Jasodha, do you? I believe Jasodha ji is in a village, and the connections are very weak there. We'll have to the connection issues as such. Yeah, should I speak? Yes, ma'am. Please go on. You can also start your share. Yeah, please, okay. please go ahead. Please go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll. Um, yeah. I think um, you have to close your screen share. Yes. Then yes. I will. Start. Yeah. Okay. Thank you and hello everyone. I'm very grateful to the organizers um, for actually um, permitting me to come here and uh, share some of my thoughts and experiences. And uh, I would uh, just like um, to take a minute. Um, yeah. Right. Um, is the slide visible? is the slide visible arjun not yet not yet arjun okay. no not yet okay um right uh, should we have you showing the slides instead will that work no. better um, you can you can try again no issue um, just just try once yeah. yes uh, just let me know when the yeah sure. let me know when the slide is visible sure. um so Thank you. 
Yeah, it's there. It's come. We can see that. Ma'am, ma we have brought it. If you can see, so you can say change on next. We can do that. Jashodra, ma'am. Her internet is not working because her mic is not visible. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think she's dropped out. Mm Arjun? Yes, I'm trying to call her, sir. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just lost the connection. If you can stop the screen share, I'll put on my screen. Yeah. Thank and this you. is much better. <laughs> yeah, thank yes. you. I, I really had a bad connection. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yes. So, I'll just come back. And as I was uh, saying, that um, during COVID, all of us have been through the situation as it was. And so I'm not going to, to uh, explain what happened, uh, but I'd just like to flag what I will be covering during this presentation. Uh, so it has four parts. The first is that I will be looking at what were the kind of experiences that were not commonly visible faced by women. The second is to try and analyze some underlying causes using an intersectional perspective. The third is to look at women and care work during COVID, both in the domestic and public sphere. And finally, I'd like to close with some of the policy approaches, which perhaps may be helpful in terms of suggestions. So I'll start with the first section, which is of lockdown. So one of the things that I think all of us have been extremely conscious about was the kind of panic-stricken exodus that we saw, which was a result of the lockdown of public transportation, the absence of assurance of income, and also the fact that there was so much precarious employment, uh, which actually meant people were on the edge of survival to begin with. 
And I think urban India was the most visible face of this because it packs one third of our population who are actually in crowded homes. Most of it is insecure hygiene, uh, housing with poor hygiene and also they don't have private toilets or private water connections. So the slogan of stay home, stay safe, which was the kind of policy message that was coming across to the people was actually not feasible for people in this condition. Mm. The other thing I think we all noticed that women were also on the move and we found girls and children were undertaking these arduous journeys across hundreds of kilometers trying to get home. And these, some of the desperate faces that we saw also included apart from men, women who were old, who were sick, women who were already malnourished to begin with, who might have been pregnant and hordes of people who have been deprived of their wages, who had no other cash support and who had no more food left and no way to pay their rent. In this scenario, I think the policy support that was announced was very insufficient. For instance, pensions for old people were added by 333 rupees over the 500 rupees already given per month. So I think these kind of amounts that were given as support were too little and they actually did reach too late. Let's also consider what was happening within the stay home situation. If all the family members are at home and incomes are already shrinking, food security is getting worse, women are always the ones who get the last morsels and they might have been eating much less than normal. We also know that within the household, women who faced sexual assault or violence were not able to seek help. And we have many reports on this brought out by different agencies. We also know that women's reproductive health needs, for instance, menstrual hygiene products, contraceptives, or abortion services were not met because they could not access these during the pandemic situation. And we are expecting that there will be millions of women who are facing either unwanted pregnancies or may have gone in for risky abortions. It is a pity that the policies did not mention that these had to be kept ongoing as essential services. Although food security was given a priority, but even then most of it was insufficient for those without documentation. I'd like to just come to some analysis that I see in an intersectional manner, especially on why some women faced absolutely critical situations during the pandemic. We can look at pregnant women, for example. So women who were in labor tried to access government or private hospitals. But we have so many cases in which women were turned away by as many as six or eight hospitals. And there are court orders across the country in high courts that are giving directions to hospitals and the health system to stop this practice. We also know that in cities, women were giving birth on the roadside. Women were actually delivering in ambulances and even police jeeps. We know that many women have lost their lives owing to unsafe childbirth, maybe in home settings, and many babies have been lost. We also know most shockingly that pregnant women who were walking home gave birth on highways besides trucks and buses 
And there are multiple news reports that provide examples. So I'd just like us to focus on something that happened in the heart of India on the 5th of May, when an Adivasi woman who was walking from Nashik to Satna in Madhya Pradesh gave birth on the highway. And she just had time to rest for an hour or so. And then she picked up her baby and she picked up her bags and then she marched on. And this is a news report that appeared in the Times of India. And it's an absolutely shocking incident for a country like ours that women are actually giving birth almost like animals, like wild animals on the side of the road. So what actually happened? Why would such a thing take place in India? I think we have to also understand some of the social determinants here. So for instance, this was an Adivasi family. They had very small children. What actually made them migrate for precarious work so far away? where they felt that they could not stay any longer because they had completely run out of their financial resources and had no way to pay their rent. What exactly is the nature of employment that is available to rural Adivasi migrants or anyone from this kind of a very marginalized community? What kind of social protection is really available through this employment when they do actually take up work in cities? What compels them to leave their place of work and attempt the dangerous walk of a thousand kilometers across the heart of India with a family member in an advanced state of pregnancy? Most shocking, India has had for the last 15 years very strong policies and programmatic frameworks for safe motherhood. Did this woman have a health provider who was actually tracking her pregnancy and who would be responsible to ensure that she had a safe childbirth? And a question to all of us on this webinar, would this kind of childbirth ever happen to any of us or our near and dear ones? And I would like all of us to think why or why not? The way we understand intersectional disadvantages of the millions of Dalit, Adivasi and minority individuals and other resource poor families is that they are forced to migrate from villages often because they lack resources. There is local exclusion, discriminatory practices. They might face sudden crises or forcible displacement. When such families reach cities, they are already so desperate and deprived. They're willing to work for precarious, low-paid and unsafe jobs, just because these are out of any formal contract and need no documents. This kind of employment obviously is exploitative and it doesn't provide any health coverage, social protection, no responsibility of the employers or contractors who can abandon workers and vanish without paying their due wages, leaving them in the lurch. We also know that migrant women do not have bank accounts because they don't have address proof, they don't have identity documentation, and often they are not registered with any provider who could ensure that their childbirth takes place safely and that their health is guarded. Why would this never happen to any of us? It's because we who are on this webinar are all part of a privileged group and policies explicitly benefit those who are already at an advantage. I'd like to come to my third point, which is to look at women and care work. 
and how the forced volunteerism of women's work keeps the families and our economy going. I would like to point out that women were not just victims during the pandemic. Women were agents. Women were active in care roles within the household and community. The closure of schools and childcare centers such as the Anganwadi centers meant that there would be less food for the family because school meals and the Anganwadi rations are a great help. It also meant that women had a greater burden of care roles with children within the household. We know from the time you survey, the recently brought out by the NSSO that women spend three times more time as men in unpaid domestic services for household members. And we know that about 80% of women in India actually spend about five hours of their day in such service. Women's gendered and subordinate status within the household and society means that this unfair sharing of the care burden can be glorified in terms of maternalism and volunteerism as selfless service and love. We know that state policies are not providing the kind of support needed for childcare, for care of the elderly and the sick and disabled, compelling women to compensate for these lacunae in state policies. Beyond this, women have been agents as care workers in the public domain. Let's look at the health sector that we are discussing today. 17% of doctors in India are women. But if you look at the entire health workforce, we find that 85% of the health workforce are composed of women. What kind of roles are these women playing? They're working mostly in the nursing and allied workforce that maintains the closest contact with patients in clinical settings, including during the COVID pandemic. In the community front lines, we know that women are clustered in the most informal kind of employment. These are part-time, these are low-paid, and these are care jobs. In India, around a million rural women work as ashas, and another two and a half million work through the ICDS program as Anganwadi workers and helpers. They have always been providing the frontline services for health, nutrition, and child development. It is unfortunate that the state, despite being their primary employer, does not take responsibility for their social protection or fair compensation and uses extension of the domestic notion of women's volunteerism and their desperate urge to be in any kind of paid work, no matter how informal it is. The policy neglect of women's care roles and the meager budgets for health and ICDS are balanced by women's work, which is done in the so-called voluntary spirit of community service. We know that over the last several years, ASHA workers and Anganwadi workers have constantly been de demanding their rights, fair wages, proper compensation, and decent working conditions. As you can see from these images, they have mobilized in their hundreds of thousands. However, the state has not responded correspondingly. What happened during the COVID crisis? During the crisis, we found 
that these women healthcare workers within the formal health workforce were handling the crisis absolutely at the front lines. These include the nurses, nursing assistants, sanitation workers, and the others. We also know that the frontline workers, all three and a half million of them, were pressed into community work, into surveillance, referral, and tracking of what was happening with the migrants, with the community members, and especially those who needed to be quarantined. We also know that they spent long hours working in absolutely unsafe conditions. They were not provided with the kind of protection or PPE that other health workers received, especially male doctors. We know that these frontline workers often faced direct community hostility and violence, especially from those who were being taken away into quarantine. We know that they were told, they were promised an extended payment, but they were actually made to work for months with barely any additional compensation, despite their precarious condition. And even their regular payments were delayed for months. We know that after four months of handling this crisis, the frontline workers went on massive strikes, especially in August 2020, calling for policies that ensure decent working conditions, social protection, and recognition of their roles, including adequate pay for the kind of work that they were putting in. Let's now think about what kind of policy approaches could help in such a situation. What would be some of the actionable solutions that could redress the adverse impacts that have related to women and health during this pandemic? The first thing I think is to consider what crisis response should do in order to safeguard women's health. COVID is not going to be our last crisis. With climate change, I'm sure there are going to be many further situations in which women will face critical conditions. The thing we have to remember is that policy making is usually shaped by the experiences of those who are relatively privileged, people like you and me, who have a stable home address, who have documentation, who can access the internet, who have smartphones. But policy making actually needs to recognize and address the needs of the most marginalized and vulnerable. And we cannot insist that there have to be identity papers like ration cards and Aadhaar cards. We know that about 95% of women who work are in the informal sector. If the state insists that there will be employer-based social protection, it will inevitably deprive those who are working in precarious jobs without proper contracts and documentation. And these include the people whose cheap labor benefits privileged people like you and me, the agricultural workers, the construction laborers, domestic workers, and so on. So we cannot look at employer-based social protection. We need universal social protection for the situation in India. And that includes all forms of social protection. And I will be providing details next. So firstly, I think there has to be recognition of disadvantage and vulnerability. We have to always remember that caste, class, sexuality, and communal divisions are added on in layers, exacerbating existing gender disadvantages. They add directly to the health vulnerability of women, girls, and gender diverse individuals. 
we know that many news reports have shown how all of them faced discrimination in healthcare settings. The slogans we are so fond of, stay home and stay safe. These are actually useless for those whose homes are unsafe, those who are facing gender-based violence. We know that the poor don't have the kind of homes where they can stay safe. They live in crowded homes. They have common taps. They have to access common toilets used by many others. Staying home is not going to keep them safe. We also know there are people in explicitly difficult situations. For example, those who are already pregnant, those who have breastfeeding infants, those who are elderly, those who may be disabled, those who are destitute. They do need special additional support. And the upcoming union budget could consider providing emergency cash transfers for women, for gender diverse persons, for those who are receiving pensions, those who require maternity allowances. And these really need to be substantive, not amounts like 333 rupees a month. It needs to be equal to at least 50% of the minimum wages. They need enhanced food security, not just cereals, but also proteins. They need to have community kitchens that actually manage to get them hot meals. They need to have systems that provide take-home rations. It's really important we see women as agents and local women must be given leadership in local implementation and monitoring. It's also really important to think about the healthcare services that are available for women. And the only answer going forward that can address the situation is universal provision. So the COVID pandemic has really shown us some of the glaring gaps in the health system. We saw how our public health system, which to begin with is understaffed and poorly resourced, struggled to cope with the demand for intensive care. And so many of the tertiary facilities became designated COVID centers, which meant that other health services for those not suffering from COVID, but suffering from cancers, TB, kidney failure, cardiac issues, was not accessible in public hospitals. The unregulated and ugly face of the private health system, which is dominant in India, retained its focus on making the maximum profits out of the pandemic and the ensuing panic. Multiple news reports have actually explained how people were charged lakhs of rupees, even if they had insurance. In terms of insurance, the Prime Minister's uh, PMJAY scheme was unable to protect the poor and studies by the World Bank have shown how the poor could not get protection from catastrophic health expenditure during the pandemic. Let's really think of our architecture. Public health spending in India is extremely inequitable. The privileged classes who are part of the government, the central government working system, have public health per capita spending of 10,000 rupees per year. Whereas the general public, which uses the public health system, has a public health spending of 600 rupees per capita per year. This inequitable system must change. We do need regulation of the private sector on an immediate basis. Private insurance has also got to be reined in. We need immediate increase in health budgets, and we do need an equitable per capita investment 
by the public by the public sector for universal healthcare services. I'd also like to talk about health services that are specifically needed for women. All women, children and girls, even those who don't have address proof bank accounts and documentation, for example, migrants, sex workers, destitute women must be registered with their local providers. All reproductive health services, especially access to maternal health care, contraception and abortion services must receive immediate priority and the access must be promptly ensured. During such emergencies in future, the lesson learned is that violence response services and shelter services have to be part of the essential service category so that women and girls can easily access these. We also noticed spikes in mental health conditions. Therefore, stress support and mental health services must be made available within community settings and not just in hospitals. Given the appalling state of nutrition of women and children in India, it's essential that supplementary nutrition, including a high protein diet must be regularly provided for all women and girls optimally locally produced by women's groups, women farmers, or women's collectives. We also know that many state benefits and schemes in India are contingent upon the number of children or the number of pregnancies a woman has faced. Given the fact that the state health system has completely failed the women and girls of India and prevented them from accessing contraception, this can no longer remain a disqualification for any benefits, maternity allowances, or social protection. I'd like to uh, talk at the end about healthcare provided by women and what kind of policy focus is essential here. We should have a formal state acknowledgement of the load of care that was born during the pandemic by women within homes and as healthcare workers. State investment must share the budget. State investment must substantially provide for childcare, elderly care, and care of the sick and disabled. It must actually share the burden of women and girls and enable them to engage in other forms of productive work. We know that state budgets for healthcare and ICDS have used the subsidized labor of women who are in self-denial serving the community. We must have increased budgets that also enable frontline workers like ashas and Anganwadi helpers and Anganwadi workers to get fair wages and have decent working conditions along with proper social protection, a career path and recognition of their hard work. Finally, I think it is a choice at the policy level as to how we manage the trade-off. India is staring at a crisis of hunger, income loss, and a disgraceful health status among hundreds of millions of its people. Women in all categories are the worst affected, and we have talked about the intersectional analysis of women's disadvantage. Yet, the skewed priority setting in the policy domain could actually say that the same allocation would be given to an urban beautification program that could have been far better used in ensuring the legal maternity allowance for all pregnant women in India. 
how do we manage these trade-offs? How do we make our policy choices? I will leave you with three questions. What would gender responsive policy making look like? How would in future relief packages be designed that recognize intersectional disadvantages? And finally, and I think the most profound question of all, how can our policies for taxation and fiscal distribution result in truly transformative financing for the country, for those who are vulnerable, for those who are disadvantaged, for the women, girls, and gender diverse individuals? I leave you with these questions. I thank you for your attention and look forward to your ideas. Thank you. Uh, well, in fact, uh, it was a fascinating, uh, you know, uh, presentation by Jashoda Dasgupta on something which, in fact, impacts, um, uh, you know, uh, large sections of uh, women, and especially when you bring in the intersectional, um, you know, uh, way to look at it, it surely impacts, uh, you know, uh, the Dalit, the Adivasis, the Muslims, and the minorities that you spoke about. And, uh, you know, uh, I must say that uh, very briefly, and um, in fact, uh, in less than, you know, in fact, I would say about 40 minutes, uh, you know, you were able to share, um, you know, the real side of what people have really missed out and have ignored. And I appreciate, you know, in fact, um, although uh, four points that you mentioned, you know, in terms of uh, women's experiences and analysis of the causes, uh, you know, and then uh, women in the care work and then policy approaches as such. Uh, you know, uh, in fact, Jasrudaji, which, uh, you know, uh, you brought in very uh, nicely about, um, you know, why, uh, you know, uh, people migrate, why Adivasi women migrate to faraway areas. Since, uh, you know, I have been working with the homeless people, people who sleep on footpaths of Delhi for the last 20 years. I think we have seen this side, you know, and then we work with homeless people across the country. We have seen the worst side of uh, urban India, you know, where even in the cities, they're badly discriminated. You know, but the, the women, the men, the children, everybody, you know, as such. And we had to fight for about 20 years to get them some justice. And I think, you know, um, uh, and I think well, you you have been raising one very uh, important issue, uh, being very, very blunt, which I think is very important that would have this happened, all that has happened would have happened to some of us. Why this us and them? Why is it, you know, that uh, they suffer the rest of the country is okay, you know, and, and I think the elite and the rich and everybody, they're perfectly fine with the homes and all. And to that, I have just one thing, you know, which I have realized in my work with the homeless people, you know, that um, uh, the that there are two Indias, not the India and the Bharat. That's an old classification BG Vargis gave us and very important. But there is an India with all capital I-N-D-I-A. And then the converse is non-India, all lowercase. India is where all the Ambani's and Adani's and the government and every constitution of India and the Supreme Courts and High Courts um, consist, they, they stay there. Non-India is a place where the Dalits and the Muslims and the tribals and women, children, they all subsist. So I think this is something which also comes out from your you know, presentation that why you know women were left to suffer at all ends, you know, like be it... Um, you know, the healthcare workers, be it the ICDS, be it the ASHA workers. And I think you make some very important recommendations. I think, you know, I, and I think uh, nobody's going to dispute what you're saying. It comes from experience and very rich experience, you know, and uh, when I'm really happy that you raise these issues um, uh, squarely. 
uh, you call the shots, you call where, where the problem really was. And uh, thank you for saying that. I would now, in fact, open it for uh, other friends to come in. You know, whether it's uh, Simi, Arjun, and other, I, I did see Lakshmi Lingam also there. So other friends who'd want to ask questions, who want to exemplify or further add the points to this very important conversation, I think, please do add. Uh, you know, I think, uh, thank you for making such an important observation. And, you know, I, I appreciate that. Arjun Simi, you're in Thank you. Please. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Thank you very much, uh, Indu sir. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Jasodra ma'am, for this really uh, lucid presentation. And as Indu sir has mentioned that it was um, clearly stated, uh, the challenges, uh, the problems, everything has been so clearly stated by you. And um, it's been brought out very, very um, firmly. Um, I do not dispute any of your observations my observations are just to supplement um, my uh, your observations through mine um, because i have closely observed how uh, icds has worked uh, over the past so many years um, as you know based on my uh, little experience so uh, one of the um, uh, or one of the persons in the audience has uh, written about filaria and i would like to begin with that is that uh, in in jharkhand and i would be bringing in experiences from jharkhand so uh, uh, in jharkhand what uh, happened uh, or what is happening uh, at this moment is that um, uh, in in last year um, the anganwadi workers were um, uh, again uh, given the task of um, going door to door and uh, uh, collecting information about uh, the disease filaria uh, and it was from the health department. And as we all know that ICDS and Anganwadi is from the Department of Social Welfare, which is the Women and Child Development. So they went door to door and, uh, and they were promised a certain amount of money, 500 rupees uh, per, uh, per household. Um, or something like that but uh, and and the department also said that uh, the money has already been transferred but so far the money hasn't yet reached and uh, they keep going from you know their uh, their areas of uh, work and even where they reside it's quite far from the um, main city where the departments are usually located so Coming, going to and fro is again uh, another uh, um, headache in terms of uh, spending so much money. So uh, there, that is uh, one way where we are actually um, taking the services, um, soliciting the services uh, without paying them sufficiently. Second is um, second is about the PPEs that uh, you spoke about. They were not provided PPEs, and very true. And um, they were in fact uh, uh, sometimes they also faced violence when they went door to door in the peak of the lockdown um, to to give. Uh, uh, you know, to give the uh, dry ration to the to the children and to the homes, um, and uh, you there was a very beautiful um, picture in in one of your slides about the Anganwadi workers demanding uh, uh, their rights. They they were protesting, uh, all in pink color uh, saris and dresses. Um, Again, recently, uh, there was one such uh, protest protest that was held in uh, Ranchi, the capital of Jharkhand. And uh, just imagine, Anganwadi workers were largely charged for this um, very genuine demand of um, increase in uh, 
uh, in their salaries and uh, plus they are not treated as government servants right they are um, only remuneration honorarium as as it is called and that is so meager uh, and then they are recruited for all different different purposes that they have to do this they have to do this and um, apart from that uh, the uh, icds uh, work um, and then there was another threat that they will be removed from the um, services if uh, if you are not giving the names of those who were involved in those protests so uh, this is um, again another dilemma that we are faced with um, then you also spoke about the requirement of or the need to uh, ensure that uh, in the meals uh, proteins are included so uh, now uh, there is no mid day meals uh, in in because of the lockdown and because of uh, closure of the anganwadi centers mm, uh, but uh, what what usually happened in the pre covid times was that uh for take the example of eggs uh, when when the person who has been selected from, uh, selected for delivering the eggs you know uh, through a tender perhaps so uh, they never came or they rarely came to the anganwadi centers to um, uh anganwadi centers to uh, to deliver the eggs in fact they had and they used to ask the anganwadi workers to walk down uh, to um, uh, to to collect the eggs and when it was found uh, when it was being served it was found that at least 10 to 20% of them were rotten so um, this is again a lot of goof up is happening and uh, um, we certainly need a total a bottom to a, a top uh, uh, total revamp of the entire uh, icds system that would ensure that uh, the scheme that is for pregnant and lactating women and uh, children from 0 to 5 years really works um, so that was my uh, submission thank you very much again ma'am for your lucid presentation over to you indu sir yeah i think can we have arjun come in or maybe sir, there are any questions as such um, uh simeen that you can uh, further post from the chat and all which i think uh, you know uh, uh there see. is uh, there is a question by uh, yeah uh, lakshmi ma'am i think okay that has been answered i guess uh by jasodra ma'am it's, it's already been answered ma'am would you like to uh, speak about it uh, about your response to lakshmi ma'am's comment question um has she been able to see that i would say you know yeah yeah um thank you uh, i think lakshmi was really asking that the unpaid yeah. care work is mm. not being recognized uh, because the drudgery that women face mm. uh, there's no kind of budgetary support for that kind of social support and any ideas on how we do that so mm. my suggestion was really that the state has to formally recognize this and in two ways one is to actually ensure that there is state investment in child care in public provision of nutrition so i talked about community kitchens and also care for the elderly better care for the disabled right now care of people who are older who are disabled who are sick is entirely on the shoulders of the women members of the family and they are actually subsidizing the state by doing this and the state needs to provide far more investment in these kinds of care and i also believe that the other way to do it is to ensure that in recognition of the work that women have put in especially during the pandemic there should be actually cash transfers 
what was given as transfers to the Jandhan Yojana accounts was the meager amount of 500 rupees. And I think everybody who is listening to this knows that 500 rupees will get you nowhere uh, beyond at least one day's uh, expenses. So this was actually a very inadequate recognition of what uh, the kind of work that women put in during the pandemic and everything was born on their shoulders. Thank you. Indusha, should I ask or raise? Please, 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 please go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Th thank you, Jashodra, ma'am, for uh, I would say very nice presentation and uh, really touching upon so many of points and uh, really uh, highlighting the the plight of women and health in in a very comprehensive manner. And ma'am has really highlighted the the issues facing the uh, women in all the developing countries of the world, be it uh, be it on the menstruation or abortion or so many of choices women have to make, especially in this pandemic. Uh, I really, ma'am has really touched upon the cash transfer. We also have something called Pradhan Mantri Matutra Yojana and then JSY. And there also the amount which we are giving, 6,000, 5,500, even in three tranches. Uh, even the Sahaika don't like to, you know, go after and after because 2,000 rupees is coming when. And for 500 rupees, you know, even you get a half a liter of milk. And for 30 days, it comes out to be 600. So uh, they, as an economist, I do not have any rationale for coming up for that number. Other than that, we have the largest cash transfer program, wherein we are sending the money to so many, you know, 20 crores of women. Uh, we also have so many of, you know, schemes, which is uh, also flourishing during this pandemic. And uh, one of them was really related to the, the the pads as the subsidized rate. We also did a study on, on rural women, also for city. And uh, uh, really the triggering is not much. Uh, awareness, there is a lot of, you know, uh, in, in for women of different age cohorts, uh, really not aware. And during this pandemic, you, we all know that hygiene and other things, really immunity, others really have those things. Ma'am, what in your view should be done for raising the overall, uh, I would say health infrastructure awareness or sensitivity uh, to have that uniform uh, set of uh, access to all the women. And ma'am, what do you think on the front of uh, abortion side and pregnancy, uh, wanted, unwanted, what should be done now? Uh, in European countries, in UK, in Britain, uh, Irish countries also, uh, but they are so much more advanced than us. They have relaxed the norms uh, pertaining. They, they brought the bill for abortion and others uh, uh, pretty fast during the pandemic. And a lot of things are going on there. Uh, in India, the, the scenario is very different. India has different India city, rural uh, what do you think should be taken care of in this in this aspect, especially now the in uh, most of the hospitals are COVID. So even if that things happen, that is also again a disaster. Uh, what should be done in, in some of the article during the pandemic, we really wrote that uh, uh, each district should have something of that sort where, you know, only this uh, birth can take place or something like that, which is uh, accessible to all and resources where there are there, which can be done. And we can really map that in, in which district, how many uh, this thing can be done. We really have the MIS and other data. Uh, other than then uh, the policy measures, 
what do you think in terms of um, administration from the government as well as from the NGO side, moreover also from the private sector, uh, which can be harnessed in this tough time? I will stop for one set of my questions here. I have many, please. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of questions. And I also saw a question in the chat box about uh, one of the schemes that you referred to, which is the Pradhan Mantri Matru Vandana Yojana. Um, so I just want to talk about the PMMVY because as part of the campaign on the right to food, I was also um, recently looking at some of the findings from a community survey of a little over a thousand pregnant and child uh, and uh, breastfeeding women across, um, I think, um, close to 11 states, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe about 55 districts. Um, in this, uh, the interesting finding was that over the last six months, which may include also the period after lockdown, women did receive the registration and the take-home rations from the local Anganwadi centers. So across six months, so I'm not saying only during the two, three months of lockdown, but afterwards as well, these women did receive. So the Anganwadis were actually functioning and were competent to reach some kind of services at the front lines. The interesting thing is of those thousand plus women surveyed, more than 80% did not receive any installment of this central scheme. So the question is why? They were registered, they were getting their nutrition, but they did not get the cash transfer. It's a big question. So we have to look at where the policy bottlenecks are happening. This is something that has been announced that has been active. It has a very inadequate budget, yes. The budget instead of 17,000 crores is coming to two and a half thousand crores, but still women should have got something during the pandemic, they did not. Of the 20% women who did receive it, barely one third got the entire amount. This would have been an excellent way to support the nutritional needs of pregnant and breastfeeding women by giving them this cash transfer because they are already registered. They all had bank accounts, but it did not reach them. So I think we really need to think very carefully about what is being provided and what is being held back and why. The other thing I want to respond to is about the question regarding abortion. As I said, the state has failed in upholding and protecting and fulfilling the reproductive rights of women to access contraception. Therefore, women in millions are going to have unwanted pregnancies this year, including women who have faced marital rape, sexual assault, and coerced sex. How are these women going to actually manage these pregnancies that they did not want? Are there going to be strict regulations preventing late-term abortions? Are women going to be again penalized and disqualified from various state benefits just because they have more than the appropriate number of children? So for example, the PMMVY gives only benefits for the first pregnancy. So now there are women who have had so many extra pregnancies, you know, but we are going to be penalizing them and depriving them of this kind of small social support. The third point I want to make is about childbirth. You talked about how can health services be accessed by everyone. 
So as I said, the health system is extremely inadequate and extremely inequitable. Inadequate because a huge dominance of the private sector, which the government has not been able to regulate, means that people move from the failed and dysfunctional public services into the private services, which are rapacious and exploitative in terms of taking payments from the patients. The other thing is the health system is extremely inequitable because as I said, those who are in union government jobs, for example, our senior bureaucrats, our ministers, all our elected representatives, the per capita spending on them is above 10,000 rupees per year. And on citizens, the ordinary people of this country, it's 600 rupees per year per head. So this enormous inequity is possible because we are not recognizing social justice as a fundamental principle of our health policy making. And women are facing the brunt of that, that we have an extremely underfunded public health system where they are being compelled to go. For 15 years, women have been asked to go to hospitals for childbirth and paid incentives like the Janani Suraksha Yojana money. Suddenly now, they are not able to access hospital childbirth. They're being turned away from six and eight hospitals after traveling hundreds of kilometers. How do we see this as being in any way justified? So we have destroyed all community skills at handling safe childbirth within the location where the woman is already there. In ANM's sub-centers, ANMs have no skills actually in order to manage childbirth. They've all been following family planning programs. So how do we bring back those skills at the community level? I think that's essential for resilient reproductive health services. And I want to end with a question on frontline workers. Somebody has put that in the chat box. Um, there might be some more questions I'm not looking at, please see. But I think for the frontline workers, it's essential that all sections of society must come together to say that this is not in any way justified, that you use them when you are in need, when your crumbling health system cannot manage community surveillance. You've used them and you've not compensated them. I think this is not justified by any means. And all of us need to come together and support their demands for decent working conditions and fair wages. I'll stop there. There's a question about whether they are competent to deal with the COVID. I think the question is not competence. They were bulldozed into it by the government that has been disregarding their demands for all these years. They were just told you have to do this. They were promised an incentive, which they haven't got. So I think it's also a question of justice that we have to look at here. Thank you, ma'am. One question have also come about the ambulance services. I think uh, other than the THRs, uh, that, that was really uh, uh, a thing, but due, due to the pandemic, I think that has been uh, uh, really stopped. So uh, the, uh, I think Abhinav Pandeji have yeah, asked. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I see that question. And it has been absolutely, um, I should say inexplicable that with all the announcements made for the lockdown at the end of March, uh, maternity care was not listed as an essential service and ambulance services were actually stopped. It's inexplicable. As I said, after 15 years of incentivizing women to come to hospitals and to use these ambulances, 
I cannot imagine the extent of suffering and hardship faced by pregnant women and their families during this pandemic as they tried to access health services. You know that a woman gave birth on the road outside Ames in Delhi because she had been turned away from six hospitals in front of Ames. This is in the city of Delhi. We cannot even imagine what was happening in the remote corners of the country among the poor, the unseen, the invisible members of Adivasi, Dalit communities. They had no way of reaching hospitals. They don't have private vehicles. Nothing was available on the roads. As I said, women have given birth in police vehicles. You know, So it has been inexplicable that the ministry took one month to announce that maternity and reproductive services are part of essential services. And even after that, we had multiple news reports of how women were being turned away because they did not have a COVID negative certificate. So I am in labor and I'm being asked to provide a COVID certificate, which will take 24 hours to process a lab test. How is that even possible? You know. You cannot predict when a woman will go into labor and they were being turned away because people in private hospitals were afraid of the infections and public hospitals, tertiary care was all considered, you know, you had to have either a COVID certificate or it was closed. And so women were just ricocheting around from one facility to another. This is absolutely inexcusable. And which is why I say in future, whenever there is such a situation of emergency, we must immediately declare that reproductive health services are part of essential services. Right, ma'am. Yes. Uh, Arjun, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, in fact, I just have an, uh, yeah, uh, just, I think, a uh, couple of points here to the points that you made. In fact, I think you clarified everything. I, I just had about, you know, a couple of points. Um, going by uh, the current government, the UN government, which is laying emphasis on privatization in a big way, you know, how do you see that, you know, uh, all that say, you know, you're presenting here and then we all are aware of it, cognizant of it, you know, about um, how the private sector actually exploits um, the people, uh, you know, how is it that we're going to rein the private sector, you know, and then how is it that we can actually like, you know, um, uh, in fact, make the public sector, the hospitals uh, better, I think because that's one answer to it. And uh, by, of course, public spending and all is very important you mentioned. Two is I also felt, you know, that somewhere as you're presenting and somewhere you are reading also shows that how, you know, the union government also faltered and actually failed miserably on many issues. And uh, the, the issue is really that the policy, not that the policy was not there, but I think there was a policy paralysis or policy lapses or, or policy abortion altogether. The policy was totally thrown out, you know. I, and this was a policy only favoring the private sector, policy that people may die, people may, uh, migrants may move around, whatever, but they're not bothered about it. So it's very clear. The policy was not for the general public. The policy was for the elite and all. That was two. Three is, you know, that in between about, uh, this is organizational praxis, which held about 36 webinars. And most of them were on the transgenders, on um, sex workers, on nomadic and DNT tribes, um, tribals and all. It showed how on all parameters, they suffered the worst. You know, the women and all, in fact, you know, had to undergo the worst with no identification, no services, no rations, nothing. There was one section of India, which actually was totally out of all the policy and all the services and schemes. You know, so it made the life much difficult. And you're talking about, you know, uh, 
and of course one thing that this government has done is that it has got some high sounding names of policies pradhan mantri matrutva vandana yojana what rubbish is this matrutva vandana and the women are uh, uh, you know giving childbirth having childbirth on streets and roads and buses and all that so i think just by nomenclature changing names and all doesn't really make difference and as you said rightly so as per you i think what is the further mile that the government has to trudge sincerely if it has to remove the problems that you have outlined outlined here in this talk of yours you know i know it's difficult but if you can just you know you mentioned it but i just want to know as to knowing that you know what our government is doing uh, how do you see that we can really come out of this particular problem thank you okay um so i'd like to actually respond to that thank you for your question by coming back to something um that i think arjun raised is that what are the roles you see for civil society for the corporate sector and you know for different uh, parts of society so i just want to say that public services must be reclaimed by the public as you mentioned rightly the particular government uh, interest in promoting uh, the private sector is quite evident you know as we can see we cannot sit and wait and only yes. request that the government should now turn away from the private sector and try to reinvigorate the public sector i think that is not an intention it is not a policy option or choice that is being taken right now so ultimately the public will have to reclaim public services and will have to reinvigorate public services by ensuring public monitoring public investment and public engagement and this has to be done by all sections of society it's not just a women's problem it's everyone's problem it is the problem of those for whom the per capita investment is 600 rupees per year i think that is the group that needs to come together and really press for this really reclaim this reconstitute the public system there needs to be far greater pressure for the regulation of the private sector actors and these are not just the corporate hospitals it's also the diagnostic chains the pharmaceutical companies the private mm -hmm. medical colleges all of them are involved and it's very important to say that these are violations of people's human rights to yes. enjoy healthcare because people are being prevented owing to the nexus of these private players mm. so i think for example the people's health movement the janswasth abhiyan has yes. been actively working with the national human rights commission in trying to ensure dialogue on this to ensure that there are advisories on this they have also been putting in cases in the court trying to see that the government must regulate the private sector standardization of costs it's just random right now and the insurance companies are also playing according to those rules i also feel that we have to look at how women become dependent on the private sector so for example in childbirth and abortion services if the public sector which is so under resourced so lacking in skilled providers is unable to provide women these services 90% of doctors in india do not work in the public sector they are all in the private sector mm -hmm. so naturally when a woman reaches the public hospital with a complication resulting from abortion or childbirth there is no skilled provider there 
So women are compelled to use the private sector. And we know that the private sector here is actually failing them, is yeah. doing extortioning. In, yes. in a way, it's extorting the kind of costs that women are being forced to pay. Women have been held hostage because they're not able to pay. So it is a gendered question, but it's also a public question. And I feel we really need to come together and ensure that the situation changes. The private sector can be contracted in by the state. Mm -hmm. It can be made to provide services based on the state criteria. In the high level expert group on universal health coverage, which brought out a report in 2011 that I was part of, we put out a clear roadmap of how this could be done. So I think we need to go back to some of those documents. We need to see how to reimagine and reconstitute the public health system. And of course, we have to increase investment in the public health system. Definitely. definitely. Okay. Indusha, should I add something? Please, please, please go ahead. Please go ahead. I'm in, in Delhi, I have really also witnessed with many of my young colleagues, uh, the, the hospital facilities really, especially pertaining to these, are not that bad, <clears throat> but especially in few selected hospitals of Delhi, not even during the pandemic. And, uh, but largely the point ma'am you are making, now we are also behind Africa in, in many of the indicators, especially our Northern India, uh, which is a very, you know, cause of worry in terms of poverty, nutrition, so many things. But uh, let me come because we have touched upon so many issues. So some of the fundamental issues also, the menstrual hygiene scheme is really not taking off. Uh, what would be your recommendation? Uh, because uh, we have really de uh, declined the prices. Uh, what, what would be your recommendation for making that effective? Because that has really told uh, on many things. And one thing, ma'am, you, you really uh, also mentioned that many of the state governments also do complain that doctors and there are no workers who like to go to villages, especially in hilly areas or remote areas. How do you think, and especially for this maternity and, and RMCCH uh, uh, problem, uh, what do you think and what, what solution do you have you experienced? Uh, other than that, ma'am, what do you think should be done with the Ayushman Bharat uh, or where are the health and wellness center? So uh, uh, what, is, what is your point of view there, uh, especially on this, our insurance scheme and health and wellness centers, we really envisage that we will have more than 1.5 lakh health and wellness center. Now we don't have, you know, 10, 15,000. And uh, if that could have been there, especially like the smart health and wellness center, uh, but ma'am, it's so many of decades of our independence and we are, every decade we are just aiming, or, you know, dreaming of having that. Uh, so what fundamentally should be done from the community level to achieve this sort of very decentralized uh, uh, healthcare services for women, children, and everyone. And uh, my last question would be, ma'am, that uh, uh, most of the North India where this, this problem is, is uh, very much, in, especially in our backward and what we call aspirational districts, uh, these districts are also, you know, very much uh, Dalit, Dalit population, tribal population. Uh, what should be the focus in these regions so that uh, a lot of people, a lot of, you know, administration also look at uh, having economies of scale while providing services to these areas because also far flung and also so many of capacity and other problems. So ma'am, your these views and what should be the yeah, road ahead for the way forward? Thank you, Arjun. Again, that's quite a lot of questions. So I'll try and um, address them to the extent possible. So the first question on menstrual hygiene management, I think this really suffered a setback because as you know, adolescent girls, for example, 
access menstrual products from schools. And this was completely stopped and has been for the last six months. So we can only imagine how difficult it is for them to find a way to manage menstrual hygiene when they don't have access to sanitary napkins. And I know that a lot of NGOs and a lot of self-help groups have been trying to manage with some eco-friendly products using local cloth pads and trying to find ways you know, by which it can be managed, but it's been a crisis. So the, the thing that one really comes back to is that the COVID pandemic and the lockdown has shown us that local resilience and community systems are crucial. Local leadership, especially women's leadership is crucial. So Arjun, really to come back to your final question, I think for everything, we really need to come back to some of those fundamental principles of development work. Everything done in a far off centralized manner under the name of quality standardization does not help. For example, if the local Anganwadi centers, if the local schools midday meal program could access the things that are grown by the local women farmers, yeah. the products that are prepared by the local women's collectives, that would ensure that there is no pause, you know, in the sale of produce or in the uptake of the products, you know. So it could actually make things so much simpler if some of these at least, I'm not saying everything can be done locally, but at least if some of these things could be done. The similar thing is about health services in rural areas. So for example, I remember Chhattisgarh had done some excellent work in motivating Adivasi youth to get through medical and nursing training. And these were motivated by having special quotas for them and providing them with special incentives to go back and work in those far-flung Adivasi areas. There have been studies done by the Chhattisgarh government and the State Health Systems Resource Center, which you can look at, which provide an excellent example of how local resilience can be actively encouraged through state policy. We also seem to believe that doctors must be in urban areas. And actually today, 80% of the doctors in India are not in the rural areas. Therefore, we need to find ways in which rural and far-flung areas can actually receive health services from skilled nurse practitioners. These mm -hmm. are those who have gone through a general nurse midwife training, the GNM training. This is much better than the ANM training, which is most inadequate, does not provide any skills and really creates a person who is totally dependent on her local ASHA as the assistant. So the general nurse practitioners need to be trained, need to be posted in various rural settings. The best thing would be for them to be actually drawn from those local communities and encouraged to go back and work there for fair wages. I'm not talking about a privatization as was once thought of by the skilled birth attendant initiative, but I'm talking about fair wages provided by the state. And these can be the health and wellness centers that are managed by such women. It also means we could make much better use of doctors who are training in other disciplines. For example, Ayush doctors are in much larger numbers. They are available. They are willing to go into rural areas. They could also be coming into the health and wellness centers 
and ensuring that there are skilled services provided for the local people. There needs to be excellent telemedicine links. There needs to be excellent transport and referral links so that if anything goes beyond, you know, uh, into a critical complicated stage, the person can be immediately shifted into the tertiary center. That is crucial. And that link was broken during this lockdown. But we have to ensure that there are skilled people in the community in order to develop local resilience for healthcare. And this also links to your question about aspirational districts. As I said, it's going to be difficult to have MBBS allopathic doctors posted in these districts, in these blocks. It's going to be very difficult. They will want always to be in the district headquarters at the most at the district hospital, sometimes not even that. So it's really important to create this hub and spoke model where the district serves as the hub and the spokes are actually the various, uh, the peripheral health centers, the community health centers, the primary health centers, the health and wellness centers, which have a direct link with the district where there are more skilled doctors available. Today in India, we have community health centers in which 70% do not have an obstetrician. You know, 80% do not have a pediatrician. That's how we are running the health system. We need to think differently. We need to think afresh. Yeah, I think, uh, ji, you've actually, you know, answered the questions and uh, in fact, most of the questions and um, uh, we agree with what you have actually said. And, um, uh, you know, uh, Arjun, are you there? I am here, sir. I'm right here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, Shodari, I just want to mention here that around um, uh, initial part of 2000 and all, I was traveling to various parts of Madhya Pradesh and I, I reached one of the PHCs in Shivpuri. Mind you, this was a PHC in Shivpuri. And there was a plaque uh, which said that this was inaugurated by Mother of India. And you won't believe, so, uh, you know, since the doctors and all did not come early in the morning, I reached around 8 o'clock, I think it opens around 9 o'clock or whatever. So there was an OT there, operation theater there. I walk up to operation theater, you know, uh, and open the door. And actually, there was an operation table there, which was on two tables. Operation table, which is a stretcher, on two tables, on which a cat was sitting. Now, we're talking of obstetrician not being there in the CSCs and all those things. Now, if PHC hasn't got a kind of a thing like that, imagine what happens to, you know, um, uh, women's health and all as such. So I think uh, that was, of course, 20 years ago. But I think, as you said rightly, maybe the same problem continues and a government needs to take all these things seriously. Uh, I think in the nature of a development which has been privatized and which is for select people, I think the public has been lost altogether. And you brought out this aspect of how maybe we need to uh, reclaim, the public needs to reclaim its space. You know, otherwise we are, we will be, keep, we'll be kept moving to the fringes and maybe time has come when we reclaim, we reclaim the public space. Otherwise, I think even that, um, you know, space will not be left for us. Uh, Arjun, if you have something else to ask, we can close it. Otherwise, because I know we have taken a lot of time of Jasudraji. She's in the village. She will be caught up with many things as such. We don't need to take away much of her time as such. It's already been, you know, an hour and a half. 
Yes, I know. I have asked. Uh, you know, okay. no, but thank you for asking these lovely questions. You know, very important questions as such. Yes, yes. No, no. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. I think the ma'am can have really some parting words, ma'am, if you would like to have. Well, I. <laughs> I, I've enjoyed this conversation. So thank you very much uh, for all the questions from you as well as from some of the other participants. And I'm glad that some of the points that I raised are uh, points that are resonating with your own experiences during the COVID, but also before the pandemic yeah. in general. And I think it is time for all of us to start thinking uh, and planning. Uh, I think we are all kind of, you know, stepping back and letting things just happen as mm -hmm. they are. It is important to come together and start reimagining a different way of doing things, especially now that we know with climate change, there will be many, many more episodes like the COVID-19 pandemic. We will be faced with emergency and crisis situations. Mm -hmm. There will be humanitarian crises. Things are very unstable right now how can we ensure that women's health is safeguarded and that people's rights to affordable, accessible, available and quality healthcare are upheld and protected both by the state, but also by private actors. I think it's really a good time to start thinking. We are in 2020, almost at the end. Uh, we have a few years uh, to you know, plan and prepare. We should really start thinking quite actively on how to reclaim public systems for the public. Um, it's just uh, more and more of coming together that's important, coming together, creating demands, raising voices, putting pressure, but also ensuring at the local level that there is leadership, that there is a local kind of voice in trying to build back resilience in communities that have been so, so badly impacted by this pandemic and recognizing the service uh, and the sacrifices of all the women who have worked so hard in these last few months. So I'd like to close with that and thank you very much, uh, Indu Prakash and Arjun and uh, Simi. Thank you very much for your um, facilitation and your questions and for giving me this opportunity. Thank you, bye. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, ma'am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, no, I would, I would uh, take the opportunity to thank, um, uh, you know, uh, Impri and, uh, you know, uh, Jasudha ji for the fascinating uh, discussion, the fascinating points she made. And I, I don't want to summarize what she said now. I think she had beautiful words asking us all to come together to assert our rights, to get the public back into our domains. Uh, and I think with that, we should close. Um, so thank you, Jasoda Ji, and thank you, Semi, thank you, Arjun, and everybody else who took part in the question and answers. Thank you for your questions, and um, all the best for the evening. Uh, take care. Zindabad to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you once again, Jasoda Raman. Have a good evening. Thank, thank, you. You. thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice evening. Thank you.